Welcome to Press Coverage. I am Theo Greminger. And at Press Coverage, we're trying to find the edges you need to win in fantasy. We're trying to bring on sharp guests. And we're trying to uncover, you know, maybe some edges to help you get through specific weeks and also to get you through the season. We're at week eight right now. The midpoint of the season is here. We have plenty of sample size. Bimageddon is over. Everybody's playing this week. This is a this is a difficult week for us to win. But my guest today is going to help us get there. And that's Andrew Erickson of Fantasy Pros. Andrew came on with Billy and I on First Class Fantasy this summer. And the show was fantastic. Andrew's also gone on Mina Mansion. So you're becoming somewhat of a player profiler regular at this point, Andrew. But welcome to Press Coverage, your first time in this seat. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm happy to be back on the show here on a Friday, back on the Player Profiler Network. Huge fan of all you guys and all the work that you guys put out. So I never miss a show. and Well, I miss this show because I'm on this show. So I'm um, very excited to be here, talk it up. Week eight, I can't believe it's already week eight. We, I feel like we say this every single week. Oh, it's already week seven. It's already week six. Well, we're already halfway through uh, the season, essentially. So uh, this is when you make that, those playoff runs. Again, some of these teams that, you know, sitting on one or two wins, like this is kind of like your last ditch effort to like maybe make a run to get the right players in the right spots. Because with fantasy, it's really about hitting on those pocket weeks of production with certain players, especially with teams coming off five weeks. We see rookies get more involved, and those can be really big difference makers down the stretch. Yeah, this season has just been nuts. We've, we've had, like you bring up the week winning in week eight, but we always we always talk about like you know the cliches and they kind of repeat themselves. But this season has been one of the more surprising ones, and it seems like every time fantasy players get a real edge, it's like two steps back. All of the running backs get hurt, and then the two running backs that really, really, really break out, um, you know, kind of off the waiver wire or late round picks, Devon A. Chain and Kyron Williams are both on the IR. So it's like it's like an incredibly tilting one, but you know we we've done a number of podcasts with you guys uh, from Fantasy Pros. You know, d- shout out to D Bro, shout out to Pat. You know, you guys are putting out fantastic content, and you're putting it out a lot a lot of content as well. And you're kind of let everybody know where they can find your work. What what's a weekly schedule like for you uh, in terms of what you're putting out, written work, podcast work. Yeah, so with Fantasy Pros specifically, because I'll actually contribute two types of content. So with Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros, so kind of hitting on all cylinders when it comes to, you know, NFL football content. So in the beginning of the week, I release on Tuesday morning. It's it's called the Fantasy Football Forecast, where it's basically I go through every single game, kind of give away my instant reactions, kind of what I felt about the game, kind of dive deep into the peripheral metrics of, you know, player usage and this and that, and kind of suggest action items for each team. So it's like buy this player, sell this player, add this player, drop this player. So it's very action item driven. So you don't necessarily need to read between, you know, read everything for, you can read the headlines, like, all right, I should drop this player. And if you have more questions about it, then you can kind of like dive deeper into it. I really wanted to release an article that wasn't just, here's all this information, like good luck. I wanted to really direct people. It's like, Hey, you don't have time to read it, like just do these things. So I really try to be direct with that. And again, they're not always going to be right, but it's like, hey, if I was in this position, if I had this player, this is how I would approach 
based on what happened the previous week and what's happening up with the upcoming schedule. So that's kind of my featured piece on Fantasy Pros. It comes out earlier in the week on Tuesday mornings. And then I shift gears more towards the betting side of things where I have a betting pros primer that comes out where I basically release my picks from the totals perspective, from a sides perspective for each of the NFL games. And I also added my favorite player props. Now, I obviously use a lot of my fantasy analysis when I'm using uh, to write up each of the games. And what I find is, when there are games that are like, hey, man, this game like really looks like an over to me. I think it's going to go over the total. Then that carries over to the players I like in that game. It's like, this is why I like this player as a start. I think this is going to be a good game environment. So I think this is a wide receiver that you should start because he's playing in a game I think is going to go over the projected total. So I like the overlap there. And this is a new experience for me. I've never really given or dove deep into the betting side of things so much. And it's been a great experience and kind of be able to look at everything a little bit differently. I think that's helped me a lot with some of my fantasy decisions that I've made this particular season. So that comes out on Friday mornings. I have a props article that comes out on Saturday mornings. And in between, I'm doing podcasts, doing the start sit show with Debro, um, where we basically just like list off the players that we like in the upcoming matchup. So pretty standard. And, and yeah, that's about it. But it keeps me busy Monday through Friday. And then on Sundays, like everybody else in the content space, live stream here, live stream there, answering as many start sick questions as I possibly can before lineups lock at 1 p.m. Eastern. No, it's awesome. Highly recommend your work. It's definitely worth checking out. You guys are definitely crushing it over there. Um, and maybe give us one. Right, do you have a player prop you like for this week? Yeah, so the one that's kind of on the top of my head is T. Higgins. Uh, okay. T. Higgins over his receiving yards prop. And really, it's because it's just really, really low. It's at 45 and a half receiving yards. Like T Higgins was someone that we were drafting, you know, second, third round. Now that hasn't worked out because he's been hurt and Joe Burrow's been hurt, but it's really easy to see why he's been not good. It's it, you can explain it away by the injuries to both his quarterback and to himself. But we know T Higgins can, I mean, his career average is 63 receiving yards per game. So the fact that his prop is so low against the 49ers defense that we know their weakness is against their secondary, I, I, there's no way we're ever going to see a prop this low. So it's like, yes, is he guaranteed to hit it? Not necessarily, but I, I think it's really good value where it is because I think it's just based way too on what he's done recently when it's like the larger sample size of T. Higgins as a player is that he should be going over this total more often than not, just hasn't really worked out this year because of injuries. I love that one. I actually was trying to set some lineups uh, yesterday before the Thursday games, and I got to one, and I had T. Higgins on the bench, and I'm like, what am I doing, man? Let's get T. Higgins in the lineup. <laughs> Why? I, I got to start T. Higgins. He's healthy. And, and uh, you know, it's it's funny because the last time we were ready to, like, completely bury T. Higgins and worried completely about the usage, it was the Baltimore game, and he kind of went off. It's just been the inconsistency, but, yeah, with that sort of a number – all it takes is really one play from him and, and you might hit that prop, uh, you know, on one big play. So I, I like that one a lot. Now, looking back at your process, you guys start early like we do with the rankings, with your ADP targets. What's one player that's been like a really positive surprise for you? Uh, a guy that maybe you weren't necessarily bullish on that's really exceeded expectations um, or something, you know, just out of the blue guy that you weren't even expecting to contribute that's kind of come out of nowhere. Positive surprise for Andrew Erickson. I mean, I think for me, it's probably Jacoby Myers. Just like Love the that. fact that he's been so... Because, like, I, again, I'm a, I'm a Patriots fan. So I've seen Jacoby Myers play, and I've seen how underrated he's kind of been. But the fact of the matter is, when he was the Patriots, 
he was always able to command targets like at the end of the day. And, and we always cite that as like a great measure of how good a wide receiver is. And we talk about how wide receiver talent matters more than it does at running back or some of these other positions. And it's like when you're talented, you get targets. It's like, well, how is he going to get targeted with Devontae Adams? Like, how is this going to work? And it's like, well, it's exactly what's happening. Like he's second in red zone targets in the NFL behind only Devontae Adams. <laughs> so not only is he getting targets, he's getting high value targets and a concentrated target share with, you know, the quarterback that he has. You no, know, it doesn't even matter who the quarterback is. Like he's been super productive. He's scoring touchdowns after he never scored touchdowns with the Patriots. And it was like a inside joke, like how often he would never ever score. Um, and what do you know? Now he's scoring touchdowns because he's good and he gets yards and he catches the ball. So Jacoby Myers for me again, I think it's a good idea. It's like the situation is question mark but he was going so late and it's like hey man like he's good like you're not drafting a dust ball player where you were going like yeah you're not sure how the targets are gonna work out but at the cost i think it was like a smart play to just bet on jacoby myers where he was going because it's like hey man this guy's just good and he's so cheap it's like i don't really know how it's gonna shake out with Devonte, but i'll just bet on the talent especially at the discounted price yeah it's it's funny because it seems like one of like in retrospect one of the bo most boneheaded decisions uh, in recent memory that New England just lets him go, um, and then replaces him with Juju Smith Schuster, who's like complete dust and also completely banged up. And Myers goes to a situation where we think maybe he's going to struggle to demand a high target share, and instead it's become this like very consolidated target tree where. We're very excited about Myers. You know, we've had a couple of disappointing games from Adams, but the usage for both of them is there. And if anything goes on with Devontae Adams where he's potentially moved, whether it's, you know, probably not at the trade deadline, but this offseason, you know, goes to another team, you could have a situation where Jacoby Myers gains a ton of dynasty value. Uh, we're going to touch touch base on kind of his red hot start, but I love that answer. You're the first person who's who's mentioned Myers, but he's wide receiver 12 right now on the season. It's uh, It's wild times. How about a player that you guys were maybe bullish on or you just thought was going to have a good season who you've been very disappointed with? I mean, I think I I think this is a kind of collective take that I think everyone had with the fan and I think it's Chris Olave. Yeah. Um look, man, I was I was the one trying to pump the brakes on Chris Olave a little bit because I was worried about Derek Carr. Like and I had seen this story play out the year before when everybody was projecting the Michael Pittman breakout with Matt Ryan as his quarterback. And it was all there. It was like, he's got a quarterback upgrade. But then I like took a step back and was like, but is Derek Carr really a quarterback upgrade? You know, you know, they were going from Andy Dalton to Derek Carr. And it's like, yeah, on paper, it looks like an upgrade. But then you look at how bad Derek Carr was with the Raiders in his last year. I mean, they got rid of him for a reason. Like they didn't think he was good anymore. So they got rid of him. And we're kind of seeing that play out here. Like 15 targets for Chris Olave last Thursday night. Did only squat. Like, like he didn't do anything yeah. with them. And I understand the the buy low. It's like, yeah, dude, he's top five in air yards. Like, I totally understand. But when you look at players historically that have performed under expectation that Chris Olave has done, just looking back at last year through the first seven weeks of the season, those guys don't bounce back. Because if you look at the list of those players, they're all attached to bad quarterbacks. So if it's only like the shoulder injury that's making Derek Carr play bad, then maybe there is you know, a light at the end of the tunnel for Olave because we know he's good like and I know that too so that's why I felt it was risky to say that hey Olave may not live up to expectations because you're betting against a good player but the fact that the situation wasn't being 
factored in at all to his ADP when it was just viewed as, okay, Derek Carr is going to come in and just command targets to Chris Olave. It's going to be great. It's like, that has not been the case whatsoever. Like we're seeing the targets flatten out a lot more. Michael Thomas is healthy. You know, Rashid Shahid gets involved. I mean, Alvin Kamara gets, <laughs> I mean, how many targets does Alvin Kamara get every single week? Like it's crazy. So I think that we just have to be careful sometimes with just, you know, a new quarterback shows up. And this was something I wrote about when I talking about like identifying busts. It's like, anytime you change the quarterback, yes. Can it work out in favor of that receiver? hundred percent, but it adds another layer of unknown that can create bust profiles. And that's what's something that scared me off Chris Olave in the second round of drafts for this exact reason. Cause I was afraid that Derek Carr wasn't going to be the good fit that everyone thought he would be. And, and so far through seven weeks, that's kind of what we have seen. It's very disappointing because when you look at metrics, like you talked about the 15 targets, you also talk about the air yards. And then you also have sort of like the, the dynasty take lock where the guy is a very, very talented player flashed as a rookie, but yeah, it's been very disappointing. And to me, you bring up Rashid Shahid who gets these kind of manufactured touches and then you bring up Alvin Kamara, who's just going insane, where you're having those low A dot, dot looks. So Chris Olave doesn't really get as many manufactured looks as maybe a proper alpha would. So it's really like we're kind of searching for these big kind of games. Would you kind of agree that Chris Olave could be a dynasty buy and a redraft sell at the exact same time, despite his age? I think so. And, and it goes back to, you know, the kicker with Olave too. And this was present last year. You know, Olave did everything last year that you want from a receiver, except score a lot of fantasy points. Like it was like one of those weird things. Yeah. It's like his yards per route run is really good. Like all these other metrics are really good, but it's like at the end of the day, like he wasn't scoring enough fantasy points because they don't use him in the red zone. Like they are dialing up fade routes for Michael Thomas left and right to get this guy touchdowns. And Chris Olave has one touchdown this year. And it's not a fluke because he doesn't get used in the red zone. And it's like, guys, you need touchdowns like so badly, especially in half PPR formats, not the full PPR. Like that's what drives receiver production, not these a dot, like the, the targets he's getting, there's not as valuable because he's not used in the red zone. And the saints are one of these teams that uses like 10 different guys. They have Jamal Williams. They have Taysom Hill. They have Michael Thomas. They have like, they have so many different players that they can kind of mess around with in the red zone where Chris Olave is kind of like left holding the bag being like, where are my targets? Like he has less red zone targets than Michael Thomas over the last two years. Michael Thomas missed like yeah. half of the, like the entire last year. So it, it's a big issue. And it just, Derek Carr also is one of the worst red zone passers. So not only is he not getting the usage, they can't convert in the red zone. Like they're one of the red, worst red zone offenses. So again, going back to, he is probably a sell for me in the redraft, whereas he wanted to be a guy that you buy in dynasty. Yeah, it's, it's funny. They do have a nice schedule coming up. So if you're going to get an Olave bounce back, it's probably going to be over these next few games, but it's a very, very tilting time for, for Chris Olave managers. We're going to dive into a bunch of these wide receivers as well as some running backs and tight ends who are off to a fast start and a couple guys who are off to a slow start after we hear a word from our sponsors. This episode brought to you by Mojo. Mojo is that player stock market. We love Mojo because we like making lifetime bets on players. You run out the clock on these guys. Mojo just rolled out a brand new fantasy platform. That's right. So now you can build a portfolio of player props. Oh, Jamar Chase over 77.5. Oh, Kadarius Tony under 
15.5, whatever the under is on Canarius Tony, doesn't matter. You can just stack up the props in your portfolio. And the beauty is once the Sunday games kick off, it's not over. It's not over until it's over with Mojo because once those games kick off, you can then move in and out of positions. Let's say that you're well ahead of expectations. You can cash out. Let's say you're behind expectations. You're underwater. Well, you can double down. That's what makes Mojo so special, why they're different. Check it out. Go to the App Store. Get the Mojo app and use the promo code UNDERWORLD. The promo code UNDERWORLD gets you a 100% deposit match up to 100 bucks. So the promo code is UNDERWORLD, and they will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Go to Mojo. Start building your portfolio. And then during the games, you can be a fantasy day trader. Welcome back to Press Coverage. I'm Theo Greminger, joined by Andrew Erickson of Fantasy Pros. So we had a Thursday night game last night. We're recording this on Friday morning. uh, And there was a couple of, you know, (laughs) we got a Chris Godwin touchdown. We got a Mike Evans touchdown. Even though Stephon Diggs was quiet, he still gets like 16 points. Josh Allen, you know, is Josh Allen. He gets you three touchdowns. He's a beast. But the one player I want to get your reaction on is Dalton Kincaid. Kincaid looked really good, scores on a touchdown pass, makes an absurd catch around the sideline, gets seven targets, five catches. I think this is a sign of of kind of big things to come, especially with Knox on the IR. Your thoughts on Kincaid's season? Yeah, no, I, I think that it's wheels up for him. And again, we're seeing these rookie tight ends like break out left and right because they have good quarterbacks. Like, like that was like the thing about rookie, rookie tight ends are bad usually because they usually have bad quarterbacks. Whereas when they have good quarterbacks, they can actually be productive. And we've seen it with a lot of the guys this year, especially like Sam Laporta has Jared Goff. Like he's been really productive. He had the opportunity, he hit. And now we're seeing Don Kincaid finally get that opportunity. It's, it's so weird to me. You know, it kind of crossed my mind when I was watching the game last night where it's like, why does it take an injury for these teams to just smarten up and use their better players? It's like, oh, well, now that the guy's injured, now we have to start our better player. And, oh, what do you know? He's breaking out. It's like, it's crazy to me. It's like, why didn't you just do this in the first place? Like, <laughs> like these injuries force these teams to make smart personnel moves when they could just start out that way. I'm not, I'm not sure what you think about that, Theo. Oh, I completely agree with you. You see it all the time. And, and I think that a lot of times you see coaches with veteran deference – and I think that it, it's sort of like a, yeah, this rookie's good, but we're going to slow play him in. We still need to get touches for this veteran who's been here for a couple of years. You know, whether it's a locker room guy, whether he handles himself a certain way, whether he does things that don't necessarily show up in the fantasy, uh, you know, the, the fantasy points for us. You know, like some of these guys are more trustworthy pass blockers. Um, it's just all the little things that kind of get on your nerves because if if I was the coach, for Buffalo and I was running the show Kincaid would have been getting this sort of usage every single game it's not like he just showed up this is what he's been for you know since the go um but it's any way you cut it it's like found money for 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 fantasy managers this is a guy where rest of season we've got like let's call him a top eight tight end rest of the season I think that's a about right of where he's at usage wise would you be on that train Yeah, I mean, especially because last night's game, it wasn't just a good box score game. It was also really encouraging in the usage. Like, his usage increased from the week before. So, week before, 63% route participation, 61% snap share. This last week, up to 84% of the snaps, 85% route participation. So, it's like, 
it reflected the increase in playing time and increase in routes run reflected in the box score positively. So it wasn't like, oh, well, he just happened to get more targets because they threw the ball a lot and Dawson Knox didn't play. It's like, no, like the team actually like made an effort to play him more. He was the one tight end in three personnel or 11 personnel. It's also why we saw more Khalil Shakur play and have, he basically had a breakout game too. Um, and it seemed like, why aren't the Bills running more 11 personnel? It's like, I know they wanted to like be stuck to this two tight end set, but it's like, well, the offense was struggling when you were running that. Let's get more speed on the field. What do you know? Look, this looks like this could work. Like, let's keep doing it. So hopefully they continue to use these receivers and uh, Dalton Kincaid to really like exploit some matchups um, with the speed that they can put on the field. Yeah, that's a great, great point on on Shakir. He's definitely going to be a guy that's going to be written about in a lot of waiver wire columns uh, this this coming weekend. He's ticking up in usage. Um, but the Bills are kind of a funny team right now. They're five and three. They lose to New England. I think that you know maybe that was a little bit of self scouting, and this is kind of the way it's going to be moving forward. At least we hope for for fantasy wise. Let's get back to a couple more of these players who are off to like red hot starts. Let's start out at the top. You know, the, the guy who's been probably, if, if I would have told you in August that Raheem Mostert would be RB2 heading into to week eight, you know, you probably would have just got off the pod and laughed at us. Um, Raheem Mostert is RB2, though. How do you anticipate the season plays out for him? And how does the season look for him when Devon A. Chain returns from the IR? I mean, I think that this is the, you want to get out now. Like you want to get out while the getting's good because when you bring up the questions, like, are you surprised that Raheem Mostert is the RB two, you know, seven week or seven weeks in? I'm like, okay, yes, obviously I'm surprised, but just kind of taking a step back, it's like if you had asked me, are you surprised that a Miami Dolphins running back is the RB two seven weeks in? I would say no. Like that doesn't. I mean, super explosive offense, like ton of touchdown upside, which Mostert has eleven touchdowns, I think. Like that's driven a lot of his fantasy production. I wouldn't have bet that it was Mostert because he's been the most fragile of the running backs in that backfield. But the fact that he stayed healthy so far, okay, I, I can buy that. So for me, it's like I was avoiding Mostert because I was afraid he was going to get hurt. And that's still possible in his range of outcomes, especially when it's the second half of the season where he's already taken on a lot of toll on his body, whereas Jeff Wilson is now coming back from an injury, but he's fresh and healthy. You know, a chain is going to come back from his injury and he's going to be fresh and healthy. Whereas Mostert has been the one that's been beaten as the running back. That's been carrying the load for the Miami dolphins. So that's the way that I kind of see it. And with the dolphins backfield, I mean, they were, I mean, you should have just been drafting all of them. Like, and just like, yeah. Hey, like I'll take my lumps with Jeff Wilson, but Mostert hit it's like, cause they were all cheap. And it's like, we wanted pieces of this backfield because we knew the offense was going to be explosive. So unfortunately I was more on the Jeff Wilson side of things. And, We'll see how that pans out on those on those best ball teams. You know, if, if Jeff Wilson's the guy you wanted weeks 13 through 17, then I'll chalk it up as a W. But right now it looks like a big L because I don't have enough Mostert. You know, there was a there's been a number of like interesting best ball theory articles and data coming out. I know Mike Leone's done some stuff with this about drafting, you know, two running backs from the same team in a even in a slim best ball, which we've looked at in the past as like, you know, you're using two of your underdog picks on, on essentially one spot, but you know, there's going to be a couple articles this, this summer on, can we draft three running backs from some elite offense? And, you know, people are going to make a real interesting thesis on it. It's just the way it goes, because I do think another name will come into the mix 
and make some noise in Miami's backfield at some point. Wilson would would be the logical one. Uh, you know, Chris Brooks had a little bit of uh, momentum going and then gets injured. So, God, we love Mike McDaniel. I love the way Mostert's playing. I love the, I love the idea of HN coming back, and it's just an offense we want pieces of. Another offense that is one of the better ones in football, but we didn't really anticipate this sort of production from Isaiah Pacheco. He's running back eight on the season. And what's interesting is if I told you that Isaiah Pacheco would have been RB8 in week eight, you probably would have said, you know, I could see that because maybe he starts off the year with like nine touchdowns or something absurd and just falls in the end zone a bunch of times. But he's actually been doing it in a very balanced approach. The touchdown scoring is not high, but the reception total has been giving him like a proper floor every single week. Your thoughts on Pacheco and how you anticipate the season moving along? Yeah, I think that that was kind of like the big question marks like entering this year was like, can Pacheco take a step forward in the receiving game? Because we saw it a little bit in the playoffs. Like we saw it flash a little bit. And it's something that we always try to remember. It's like when these teams are in the postseason, it's like we got to pay attention to what they do because these this is like games on the line. It's win or go home. And when they were in that situation last year, the Chiefs trusted Pacheco to be a pass catcher in this offense. So I know that he kind of fell in drafts because he was dealing with an injury, which I still think is a concern with him long term just because of the way he plays. Like he literally runs like a psychopath. He, he runs like a seventh round pick that's going to lose his job if he doesn't produce. <laughs> but hey, until that, until, you know, until the wheels fall off, like he's going to continue to be really productive. And Jarek McKinnon is always someone that the Chiefs don't really ever want to use in the beginning of the season because they know he's a guy that they like relying on later in the year because he's an older veteran. Um, and obviously, Clyde Ritz-Hilaire is just basically a backup at this point. So, no, I mean, uh, Pacheco is – and this was – so I didn't draft enough of Pacheco, but the minute that I started seeing this type of usage from him earlier in the year, I was very aggressive writing about, guys, you got to trade for Pacheco like right now. Like, this is, like, trending very well in the direction of him. So even if it was a miss for me in drafts, it's like I was able to get some exposure to him, like, through trades because I was seeing the receiving, like, he's running more routes than McKinnon. Like, the snaps are going up. Like, we want to get pieces of him. So even when he wasn't scoring touchdowns left and right, it's like, no, this is an opportunity to buy Pacheco. Um, so I'm not surprised, again, that he is RBA just based on the usage and the offense that he plays in. Yeah, it's I, th- I think he's, he's way more insulated than some people think. I think he's still actually a very good trade target because yeah. I don't think the trade market has moved with his production. And I also think he's a trade target in Dynasty where I don't think Andy Reid's going to be like, oh, you know, we're just replacing him. Like, they could add another running back into the mix, but I think he's pretty locked in, at least for next season as well. I actually made a big trade for him in a Dynasty League recently. I sent Marvin Mims in like a third, and I get Pacheco. So people are really not bullish on him long term. If you told, if I told you Pacheco was a third rounder and not a seventh rounder, I think the market would be completely different on him. And you bring up, you know, kind of like you wish you drafted more of him. He was being selected in like a really attractive part of the draft for like a wide receiver wide receiver starts let's call Pacheco a seventh round pick occasionally he fell to the eighth round and another player who was going in that similar range was DeAndre Swift DeAndre Swift during the summer we had discussions on Penny versus Swift early on it was Gainwell gets all that usage week one what was that and now DeAndre Swift has gone nuts DeAndre Swift is running back six on the season he looks very much like the the player that we've been looking at for years, except 
maybe even better because of the quality of the offense. Your thoughts on Swift? Does he finish in this sort of a range when we get to the end of the season? If we look at the final standings for running backs, do you see him around RB6, solidly inside of RB1 land? Yeah, I think that he's probably either, you know, at the back end of fantasy RB1. Like, I think that the top five ceiling is probably not there just because of the lack of touchdown equity that he gets, just because he doesn't get goal line work. Like, because Jalen Hurts gets goal line work, they are somewhat obsessed with using Kenneth Gainwell a lot at the goal line. And a lot of this stems from, like, what if Kenneth Gainwell doesn't get hurt after week one, too? So, like, there's, like, a universe where Swift never really becomes the bell cow at all. Like, I I think that it was always tough to try to figure out which of the Eagles running backs was going to be the right guy to pick because... I honestly don't think the Eagles knew. Like, like I, I, like I don't think they knew what they were gonna do. So for us to be like trying to handicap where to draft these guys correctly, I, I think was really tough. And you know, for those that waited on Gainwell, I, I'm, I like draft, drafting Kenneth Gainwell. Like, you felt really good after week one. You're like, oh my god, like I got the Eagles starting running back in like the tenth round. Like this is perfect. But then he got hurt, and then Swift obviously had that monster game on Thursday night against the Vikings. And of course, like you can't go back to Gainwell at that point. Um, Swift has been really productive, and again. You know, what what happens if Swift gets banged up? Like, that's the other question, too, because, like, Swift's biggest issue has been health. Like, when he's not playing, there's never been a debate about, oh, you know, he's not talented. Like, of course he's talented. He can catch passes. Like, he's super explosive. Like, he checks off all the boxes. But when he gets hurt and when he plays banged up through injuries, like, he is not effective whatsoever. And then what happens with that? So, again, right now, health withstanding, Swift's going to finish as an RB1, and you should feel really good about that. But will it last is the big question here. Um, and, and we've kind of talked about some of these other running backs, like the running backs that are hitting right now are the guys that aren't hurt. Like, yeah. like, like the, that's the thing. It's like, oh, great. You drafted the healthy running back. Good job. Like <laughs> thumbs up. It's like, that's, is that skill or is that luck? You know, I'll leave that up to the listener. So if we're going to go full multiverse and range of <laughs> outcomes here, there's a somewhere in the multiverse where DeAndre Swift gets to Detroit, doesn't get hurt. And his trajectory is somewhere like Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey for his career there. And he's like the RB one. That's a whole nother, that's an off season show multiverse of, of, you know, press coverage madness or something, but let's keep this going and let's pivot over to the wide receivers. Actually, I have one more running back. I want to ask you about, this is one that gives people a lot of pause. We know he's going to decline in production because Jonathan Taylor had his big moment last week. Taylor gets 18 carries. He had less than 18 carries combined in his first two weeks back. Taylor also catches three balls for like 45 yards. But right now, the RB5 on the season is still Zach Moss. And Zach Moss leads the NFL in rushing yardage right now. What, can we at least flex Zach Moss? Can, can fantasy managers flex him and say, you know, maybe I'm going to kick the tires and buy low on him, super low, uh, and maybe get RB2 weeks and flex usage out of him? Or is this going to be a, a slow, slow drip down to like old school Zach Moss and, you know, he's getting five points on the week instead of, you know, 10? I mean, I think that the market is probably so heavy on the ladder where it's like he's going to be totally done. I mean, that's what I think. But I think that that's factored into his like price where you can basically get him for free. And it's like, OK, well, what if JT gets hurt again? OK, now I have a top five running back, you know, that someone's been producing in this offense. Um, maybe he does have a role that you can kind of work with you know we don't necessarily see him go away i mean the colts the colts are very concentrated on offense like there's only a couple guys really getting involved between Pittman and downs and moss and jonathan taylor so 
I think he's kind of like an interesting buy low type of candidate where you're just buying the production. Now, yeah, again, he's not going to lead the NFL in rushing yards unless Jonathan Taylor gets hurt again. But yeah, I think that the market's probably so out on him as I think they should be. But anytime that there's a value that's there, it's like, hey, I don't like the player, don't like the situation. But if the value is there, it's like, hey, I got to buy. That's kind of where I'm at. I feel like he's actually a sneaky buy right now because at the very least, with the quality of the play he's had, he's like the best handcuff in fantasy. Yeah. And Taylor, again, missed a lot of the preseason. The question could be, can Taylor, you know, I mean, obviously Taylor is the kind of guy that can handle a ton of volume, but I think Moss is is a little bit sneaky. And I also think he's interesting because I think that he's played so well. He's only 25 years old. He could actually land really, really well next year as well. Uh, he's one to keep an eye on. Let's pivot over to the wide receiver spot. Obviously, we're not going to talk Puka Nakua. Every other podcast in America. I mean, if I go on, on D-Bro's podcast this week, D-Bro's spending 25 minutes patting himself on the back with that one. I was on with Jax Falcone on the Undrafted, who has like 65% Puka Nakua. I mean, these Puka Nakua guys are like on cloud nine. So we're going to leave that one alone. But Adam Thielen, wide receiver three on the season, 33 years old, out of nowhere production. This is his best year since 2018. The usage has been insane. The production has been great. What do we anticipate from Adam Thielen in the second half of the year? Where are we at? This is maybe the most shocking. This is as as crazy as anything we've seen this season. Yeah, I know. It's funny that you mentioned best since 2018. And it's funny because like in 2018, it was like Tyree Kill and Adam Thielen that were top the receivers. And now flat, fast forward to 2023, it's Tyree Kill and Adam Thielen. <laughs> Again, it's at the awesome. top of the receivers, it's like, wow, what did I miss in the five years in between? Um, look, for me, look, again, when you ask the questions, like, are you surprised that Adam Thielen has been so productive to start the year? It's like, oh, to start the year? Probably not. You know, he, again, he's an older player. What do we see with older players? They usually tail off towards the end of the season, not the beginning of the season when they're fresher. And we knew that someone was going to get targets in this offense, and it just happened to be him. I would say he's running hot in terms of touchdowns. A lot of his touchdowns have come in the fourth quarter of games in garbage time because the Panthers are getting blown out because they're 0-6. The fact that they're 0-6, you know, what they've done offensively is not something that they want to continue to do. They've been losing in every single game they've played. You know, this team didn't have an over-under of zero wins entering the year. It was like seven and a half. Like, this team's going to win games. Their schedule gets much easier down the stretch. What does that mean? More favorable game scripts, more ability to run the football. They just change play callers on offense. They're not going to keep doing the same thing that's led them to be an 0-6 team versus changing things up. What if they run the ball a little bit more? That's less volume for Adam Thielen. So so for me, it's like, look, it's a great story. Like, And if you drafted Thielen, like, pat yourself on the back, like, and you, and you were starting him, like, once you kind of realized, like, he was going to be this involved. But we've also seen this picture before where an older veteran comes out on top and, you know, he's really productive. And the same thing, too, is Bryce Young's a rookie quarterback. We, we hardly see rookie quarterbacks sustain any type of fantasy production for their wide receivers, let alone what Adam Thielen is doing. So for me, I, I think that we're going to see it come crashing back down. I, again, does he become totally irrelevant? Maybe not, but there's no way, in my, in my opinion, he's going to continue this type of pace. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what they do. You know, you have the self-scouting during the bye week. I think that it'll be very interesting to see what the game plan is. I think it's also going to be, uh, you know, the, the Chuba Hubbard, Miles Sanders uh, aspect, and then you have maybe uh, getting a secondary wide receiver involved. A lot to see this weekend when we get to Houston. 
uh, and Carolina, especially with, you know, the first and second pick of the draft going head to head. Very, very cool narratives in that one. Let's talk about another wide receiver who's been your neck of the woods, Kendrick Bourne, wide receiver 25 on the season. This is Kendrick Bourne having, you know, on paper, easily his best start of any season of his career. He's set to smash pretty much all of his target totals. Pretty much every metric you can name, Kendrick Bourne's on pace to, to, to smash. The Patriots don't really have a whole lot of help around him. Is he a wide receiver three rest of the season? Or are you thinking this is just something that falls off? I think that he could be someone that's, you know, usable, you know, when you're in a pinch, you're in a bye week, he's in a good matchup because yeah, he should be like the target leader. Again, we didn't know who that was going to be. You know, some people thought it could be Juju. Some people thought it could be Park. Like it was going to be somebody and, you know, Bourne, look, give credit to Bourne when he's played for the Patriots the past three years, when he's not been in the doghouse, like he's been productive. So the fact that, oh, well, now he finally plays more and now he's productive again. Like it's not shocking to anyone that's really followed the Patriots. Like Bourne has been really good and efficient as a receiver. He's been one of Mac Jones's favorite targets, but you know, last year they barely played him. Like there were games where he would play like two snaps. Oh, he caught like a 40 yard, 40 yard catch. All right. Put like, back on the, in the doghouse last yeah, year. Yeah. Yeah. It was, the usage was all over the place last year. And, and this year, again, due to some injuries, um, he's basically been thrust back into a full-time role, which has obviously benefited his production. So yeah, I think that he's someone that, is, is fine to have as a, a wide receiver streamer. Again, this week against Miami, I think it makes sense. Hey, I need to plug somebody in. I put him in as a wide receiver three. I think it makes a lot of sense for him. But for me, I still look at like a rookie like Demario Douglas as the player that I would rather have in the long haul. Because again, with Bourne, we have a large enough sample size with him where it's like, he's probably not going to be become like anything more than a wide receiver three. Whereas Douglas, okay, we've seen some flashes from him. Like the minute that a rookie produces on the field, in one of their first or second games, it's like, you need to pay attention to that because Kendrick Bourne has been playing football for a while and it's taken him this long to like finally start to produce. Okay. It's like, he's probably has a limited ceiling. Whereas tomorrow Douglas, Hey, you know, this rookie's starting to get ramped up. They need playmakers. He has juice, which the Patriots haven't had an offense in like years. <laughs> so I think if I had to pick one of those guys, I would prefer Douglas rest of the season. Just try to see if I can capture some of that unknown upside. I love that answer. Douglas was a guy that I had pretty high up in my waiver wire rankings this week. You love the rushing attempts. Uh, I think that he's, like you said, he's got the juice, and that's the second lowest scoring offense in the NFL right now. This is a fun one for Demario Douglas this week against the Miami Dolphins in a game where you have to anticipate New England's going to have to try to keep up uh, with the pace of play from the, the absolute juggernaut of an offense that Miami has. One more wide receiver to touch touch on. Josh Downs. Josh Downs has been such a great draft pick for Indianapolis. Certainly he saw a boost when it's Gardner Minshew behind center uh, where they seem to have a real connection. But Josh Downs is up to wide receiver 27 now and looks like he's his trajectory is pointing up. Your thoughts on Downs? Yeah, I mean, I think what we're seeing is the Shane Steichen offensive approach where he has two top guys that get all the targets. You know, we saw it last year with Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown. Very concentrated target share between the top two wide receivers on the team. It's exactly what we're seeing with Indianapolis, except the only difference is they don't have their tight end. You know, we were talking about, we were touting Jelani Woods, right? You know, he's going to be the Dallas Goddard in this offense. Well, he still hasn't played. Like he's, he's, he's been hurt the entire time. So instead of elevating one of these other, you know, jabroni tight ends, it's like, okay, well, we're just going to put 60% of the targets towards 
uh, Josh Downs and Michael Pittman and have Alec Pierce run these clear-out routes <laughs> and, and just get his cardio in. So it's really been the perfect storm, especially with how bad the defense of the Colts has been for Josh Downs to be productive. And I think that what we have to keep in mind is with these rookies that come out are a little bit on the smaller side, you know, they get knocked a little bit in dynasty circles because of their size. It's like, well, what's the longevity for this certain player? Well, I mean, if we're just talking about what they do in year one, like we have to be less concerned about, oh, well, you know, what's his longevity going to be like as like an undersized slot receiver? It's like, who cares? Yeah. Like, like he's going to be fine. As long as he can produce in year one, like that's all I really care about to especially build his value. So that's something that I should do a better job of. It's like, yes, like, do I like his longevity as a small receiver? No, but at the same time, it's not going to stop him from producing until that actually ends up becoming a problem. So, yeah, I think Josh Downs has really carved out a big role, and especially, like, even this week against the Saints. It's a tougher matchup for Michael Pittman on the outside against, like, some tougher perimeter cornerbacks, whereas we saw it against uh, the Saints on Thursday night with Kirk just getting peppered with targets, ripped off that massive run. Like, I think we're going to see another productive game from Josh Downs in the slot against a pretty bad slot defense in New Orleans. Yeah, no, I love that one. And Pittman, let's let's touch on Pittman. This week is difficult, but... What a miss by drafters with Michael Pittman. Pittman was falling and falling and falling. Uh, he's set to have a career high in targets, which is wild because he has a, I believe, 150 target season and 160 target season already under his belt. This year, he's projected to do even better. Is there any kind of lessons learned uh, with being maybe a little less quarterback averse with a player like this when we're when we're doing our draft evaluations? Yeah, I think it's just it's it's similar to like the Jacoby Myers thing where you're just not really sure about the situation. And that's obviously what's knocking him. Um, but you knew the guy was talented. And again, it's it's again, in retrospect, it sounds so easy to be like, oh, we'll just like buy the talents. Like, you know, a lot of times the talent doesn't get discounted, though. You know, a lot of times you're paying up to play for more expensive receivers that are really good, you know, in better situations, whereas the Colts. I still don't think it's like horrible process because, you know, Anthony Richardson, like, again, you know, he's not the quarterback anymore. Like if yeah. he had been the quarterback all year, like, would we see something different? Like he would obviously look good, but the games that Gardner Minshew has played in versus Richardson, like they have been better with Minshew for Michael Pittman Jr. So again, that does kind of create a little bit of layer of, well, I wasn't projecting this quarterback to kind of switch to happen. So maybe that's kind of why, but at the same time, like Pittman has just been a target monster and alpha all of his, you know, last couple of years in the NFL. So it's like, I mean, maybe he's not at such a bad bet in the seventh and eighth round when he's going to see 120 plus targets. Um, you know, how efficient will he be remains to be seen, but especially in a full PPR format, it's like, maybe you got to scoop up that value. No one ever knows how to properly price Pittman based on his production. Uh, last year, uh, he was being drafted. Like he was like the red hot guy getting drafted ahead of Tyreek Hill and A.J. Brown for large portions of the summer. Then those guys smash, and Pittman like gives you like a, a season where it's kind of like a purgatory return based on where you were drafting him. Now this year, he's going to end up finishing like wide receiver 12, and people are going to maybe overdraft him again next summer. So I don't think it's ever going to be like a, like a proper Michael Pittman valuation in any single year of his career, but he's definitely a good football player. Let's go real quick here at tight end. Sam Laporta is tight end four, and Evan Ingram is tight end six in PPR. Do these two players finish inside of the top six of the position? I think so. I mean, both of them are super consistent. I think the thing I want to point out with Ingram is Ingram hasn't scored a touchdown yet. Yeah. Like, the fact that he's able to do this with no – because a lot of 
tight ends are just, it's all touchdown production base. Like that's the only reason they score any points. So if Ingram, who I did not like at all this year, um, you know, that's something that I was totally wrong about. I thought his targets would get nuked with really added, just more playmakers overall in the offense. Um, but he's been like super consistent, like stayed healthy, like every single week. It's like, you know, five catches, four catches, six catches. And if you draft him, you're like, this is awesome. But if he now gets some of those spiked weeks, he just finds the end zone. Um, you could see a lot of, you could see Ingram finish even higher than what he's done so far, which has already been really, really good. Yeah. In, like Laporta is an incredible player. I think he, there's no way he doesn't finish inside of there. And Ingram, I think you, you, you nailed it. I think Ingram's almost a buy because the usage has just been so consistent there where he's part of the weekly game plan every single week. And I'll say that there's like the contingent upside if Kirk misses games, if ETN misses games, uh, even if Ridley misses some time, where I think Ingram would become an even bigger part of the offense. And he's already a guy that's incredibly safe at the position. You don't have to worry about like the spike weeks of a guy like Kittle behind him, the inconsistency of a guy like Goddard. So Ingram, what a great pick at ADP. Want to talk about a couple guys who have been somewhat disappointing, to say the least. Let's start with C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb last year had a really big, you know, last two-thirds of the season after kind of a slow start. Now through seven weeks played, C.D. Lamb, who was a first-round pick in, in, in redraft, is like around wide receiver 24. So it's been very disappointing. The usage, the air yards, the targets, not quite there in line with last year. Coming out of the bye week, do you anticipate him getting back to like elite scoring? Or do we have to adjust our priors? And is CeeDee Lamb just kind of a fancy mid wide receiver too? I, I I think that he's really been more of that, honestly, like as a fancy wide receiver. I, I feel like he was overrated in, in draft season. Like I, I understood like looking back at last year and like how great he was, but it's like, okay, well, the offense is changing because Mike McCarthy's taking over his play caller. That has not been great for fantasy. Like anyone that has stock in any Cowboys, it's like, They've all been disappointing. Now, the schedule has had to do with that a little bit. The defense being really good has something to do with that, but that's not necessarily going to go away. So, you know, Lamb, I Lamb, I only drafted in one draft, and it's because he, like, fell, like, crazy. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm getting Lamb, like, in, like, the fourth round. Like, it was crazy, like, how much he fell. And I was like, this is great. And then I drafted him and was like, I've been trying to trade this guy away. <laughs> I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't move him. Like, nobody wanted him. I was like, all right, I guess I'll stick with him. So, I think if you have him, I think he is a hold for right. I mean, just because of the schedule, like Rams, Eagles, Giants, Panthers, Commanders, like Seahawks, like the schedule's good. So I would wait till at least he has a boom game because, you know, that's going to be in his range of outcome. He's not going to finish wide receiver 24. I think he'd probably finish more in that wide receiver 16 range. So we will get some spikes here and there. But ultimately, I mean, he has a 21% target share this year. Like that is not alpha whatsoever. Like there's too many other pieces that they like to feature on this office between Ferguson, between cooks and Gallup that it's just not get, it's not the cook. It's not the lamb show. Like it's not the lamb show. And Mike McCarthy's not. It, and even when we saw lamb get a little bit of that squeaky wheel narrative, it's like, it was, a, it was a, an okay game. It was like, all right, great. Like you got some targets, you got some yards, but it's like that massive blow up game. I just don't know if that's in the range with how this Dallas Cowboys offense likes to play football. They want to run the ball, kick field goals. Like, like that. Like that's what they want to do on offense. So for me, Lamb is still someone I think it should be viewed as a wide receiver, a mid wide receiver too. If you can get more for that, to be my guess. But if not, I would just hold. I think in a lot of redraft leagues, you can trade CD Lamb for Puka Nakua at this moment, and I think that the Puka Nakua manager sees that as a 
potential opportunity to get like a a more of a higher draft capital guy and maybe I'm going to ride the hot start to my way to CeeDee Lamb. And I also think it's a great litmus test. Andrew Erickson, if I offer you CeeDee Lamb for your Puka Nakua in redraft, which way are you going? I'm taking Puka Nakua. And the one league I have CeeDee Lamb in, I wish I could trade for Puka Nakua, but I can't because I have him already on my roster. <laughs> That's right. I love that. I love the, the subtle the subtle Puka Nakua flex does not go unnoticed. And I'll say this, you know, this is another reason where not to pat myself on the back because it wasn't my take, but I've had such good guests on press coverage. I had Scott Barrett on a few times this summer and Scott was like the biggest anti CD lamb guy going said it was like his least favorite pick in the first round. It was like shocking to kind of everybody, but he's been spot on. So, so a hat tip to, to Scott on that one. Uh, and yeah, stick with us. Guests like Andrew uh, all season long, trying to bring out the best possible guests right here on press coverage. But Andrew, let's talk quickly about these running backs that have popped recently. Brees Hall, Alvin Kamara, Jameer Gibbs are all three on a upward trajectory. Do you have concerns with any of the three of them kind of maintaining their recent uh, pace of play? And I'll say I know Gibbs is a one week sample size, but us the Gibbs hive is still kind of kind of hyped right now. We have another week of smash week this week. I hope you're hitting all the prop the prop overs on Gibbs this week, Andrew, when I read your article. Yeah, Gibbs, I think, is like 66 and a half rushing yards. This is way too low. Against the Raiders, it's too low. Um, so, yeah, we'll start with Gibbs. Gibbs is definitely probably the toughest one to, to gauge just because, again, his, his usage has been boosted without Dave Montgomery. And it's like, okay, he's probably going to get the start this week. Lions go on by. Montgomery comes back in week 10. And, and what do the Lions do at that point? It's like, we'd all like to say, Montgomery, going to the bench. It's all about Gibbs. That's probably not, that's probably more wish casting than actual forecasting. So for me, if I have Gibbs right now, again, if I need wins, I'm going to hold them. Cause I, you know, they're playing the Raiders. Like I need that guy to deliver for my roster. And if you draft a Gibbs high, like chances are you don't have a lot of wins because he was a high draft pick and hasn't been super uh, great in terms of just total fantasy points. Um, but I think that if someone views him as, okay, he's going to take over the job. I just don't think that's going to happen. Like, I still think Montgomery's going to be really, they love Montgomery. Like they played him on a short week on a Thursday night game when he was coming back from an injury and he scored three touchdowns. <laughs> like they love Dave Montgomery. And as great as Gibbs was last week, the lions offense as a whole sucked. Like yeah. the fact that they got their, the, the doors blown off them. Like they don't even care. I don't think they can look back at that game and be like, Oh, what Gibbs is really great in this game. It's like, they don't care. Like they're like, let's burn this tape. Like we played horrible in that game up and down all three phases so as great as it was for fantasy to like be like gibbs 86 percent snap share like this is awesome it's like the lions probably don't care and and that's the big problem with gibbs so he is someone i'm probably more lukewarm on i think it really depends on your roster and what you need right now i mean ultimately i'd like to buy on the side or air on the side of that he's a rookie we're gonna see his role increase but they just the lines have been so they slow play these rookies. Like even with Jameson Williams, we're, we're seeing him like not get involved. It's like been, we're in year two already. It's like, they're still slow playing him behind Khalif Raymond and Josh Reynolds. So it's like, I've just seen too much of the lines to be super confident that Gibbs is going to take over his backfield. So for me, it's like, I, I would be trying to buy Montgomery right now on the cheap um, while he's kind of, you know, not in the spotlight, especially with the Lions schedule. Oh my God. The Lions schedule is so easy. I mean, the Lions might win the NFC because yeah. their schedule is so, so soft even if they're not the best NFC team, uh, they just they may not lose another game for a while. So that's kind of my take on Gibbs. With Brees Hall, I think it's to the moon. I think that he's so slated. Like, we're already hearing about Dalvin Cook complaining about, I don't get enough touches. That's why my yards per carry is so low. It's like, dude, 
this is not why your yards were carried so low. You're, like, you're done. You're done, Dalvin Cook. See you later. See you later. It's brief so, all season. I, I think, yeah, Hall is, is slated, you know, he, especially with the Jets' second second half schedule, also much more favorable than the because in the beginning of the season. He's getting healthier. So I love Brees Hall. Kamara is one I feel like is a strong sell. Um, and the reason I say that is because his usage to me seems pretty unsustainable. Um, he's leading the NFL in touches per game since he came back. Like yeah. no running back is touching the ball. Now a lot of it's coming through receptions. Again, he's going to catch like 13 balls every single week. Probably not, but never say never with Derek Carr as your quarterback. Um, but they still have other capable backs there between Jamal Williams, between Kendra Miller that can siphon touches away from Kamara. Again, I'm not totally enthralled or thrilled about the entire Saints offense in general as a whole. I don't really like the offense. So how much touchdown equity does he have if he doesn't get you know these monster reception games? And just look at all these older running backs this year, just like up and down the board. Who has been good? Besides Raheem Mostert, who's basically the one like outlier old running back because he's 31, but he's like more of like a 23-year-old running back just based on like total volume. All these veteran running backs have been horrible. Like most of their efficiency metrics are really bad. And, you know, if there's a certain running back you're thinking of that's been good, that's older, like correct me if I'm wrong. But like I was having this conversation with, with Debra. I was like, dude, like which of these older running backs is, is good? Like, from an efficiency standpoint, it's like, none of them. None of them have been good. So, I always want to try to sell on running backs when they're getting older, they're getting up in touches, and the efficiency is not there, which to me is a red flag across the board, especially with Kamara, where it seems like he's getting maxed out in terms of his touches and volume. And I think that you can cash out just based on the usage when I think that there are other red flags that maybe people aren't nearly as aware of. No, I I, I like that take, you know, Devil's advocate is: Has the market adjusted to Kamara based on the usage he's getting, or do people still view him as like a 28-year-old that you know right now it's unsustainable? So I think it's kind of league specific. If you can get a really proper pivot, then I think I'm making that move. If not, I'm just riding it out because, like you said, 24 touches I believe is his minimum since he's come back, and the the receptions it's like throwback Kamara. Uh, on steroids it's really really uh been been great for having him but you know we're reaching nearly an hour here and we want to touch base on some of these breakout players over the second half of the year but before that give us a game that you're excited about this week whether it's from a fantasy perspective or just an nfl in ge- in, in general i think for me it's it's got to be 49ers and bengals um, you know, the Sam Darnold litmus test potentially that we're going to get here where everyone talks about the system for the 49ers and how good Kyle Shanahan is for the 49ers. Like he can win with any quarterback. He'll keep putting you in at quarterback and you're going to score points in this offense. All right, man, let's see it. Sam Darnold, like, let's go. Like, let's see what you can do with Sam Darnold as your quarterback. Everyone talks about Darnold. Oh, situation's always been bad. Like imagine if he had these weapons and this offensive coordinator and this line, it's like, well, we're going to find out if he does get the start. So I think that this game could shoot out, you know, whether it is Darnold or or Purdy, just again, based on the weapons that he has, I think Darnold can be productive in the offense, but do they win? I'm not so sure because I think that's ultimately like what makes the difference between Purdy and Sam Darnold. I think that Purdy can make just a little bit more of those off script plays that Sam Darnold really, again, man, Sam Darnold in October, we've seen him see ghosts before. And I think he's going to see some ghosts again. (laughs) If he gets, I had an, I had an interesting start set question asked to me uh, was Geno Smith against Cleveland or Sam Darnold this week against Cincinnati. I went Sam Darnold. I agree. I mean, uh, Geno cannot. So Geno's so bad against man coverage 
and that's yeah. all the Browns run. So it's just like Gino's like it's gonna be House of Horrors for him. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely take Darnold there as well. That's like a 13-10 game uh, waiting to happen. <laughs> the game for me that I'm most excited about um, is Lions coming off of their biggest loss of the season now at home against Las Vegas. Does Detroit just completely bounce back and put a hurting on the Raiders? I think that they showed everybody how for real they are. I think that they're going to win by like 17. I think all of our Lions go nuts. I think Jared Goff is like a top six play quarterback this week, uh, despite Las Vegas being you know pretty solid against opposing quarterbacks this year. I think Goff has himself a real game. Gibbs has a game. I think you'll see Reynolds or Jamison Williams, one of the two guys, be very helpful. And the Sun God's going to Sun God. So that's my 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 game. How about breakout players second half of the season? Now we can take this different ways. You know, some people might ask for a guy that's out of nowhere. Doesn't necessarily have to be that. I think a breakout can be a guy who's just usage is trending up. Doesn't have to be a league winner, but somebody we want to get into our fantasy lineups as the second half of the season moves along. Lead us. Your choice of position, Andrew. All right. So when when I first saw this in the show, the show sheet, I was like, oh, I'm so excited for this running back. And it's uh, a one Mr. Cam Akers running okay. back. It's going to be break because we've already seen this happen before. Theo, it happened last year. Cam 100%. Akers yeah. was dead to us. The last six weeks leads the NFL in rushing guys. I kept telling people, guys, guys, this is the process with Cam Akers. You draft him. He's an utter failure. He looks horrible. He gets cut from his own team. He becomes a backup somewhere else. And then what happens? He takes over the job. And, and last week we saw him. He outcarried. Alexander Madison. Now it's been a slow burn to get Cam Akers into the lineup for the Vikings, but you know who has the easiest schedule for running backs rest of the season is the Minnesota Vikings. So Cam Akers, man, like this is it for him. And the Vikings have so much faith right now because they beat the 49ers. They're like, hey, we can make a run. Like I think yeah. that they're right now the eighth seed in the NFC, so right behind the Rams. So it's like they think they can make the playoffs. Justin Jefferson is going to come back. Like they're all optimism. And I think when it's all said and done. We're going to see Akers leading this backfield, not Alexander Madison. So um, as someone that drafted a lot of Akers, I'm, I'm holding him everywhere. If he got dropped, I'm picking him up. I'm stashing him because I think we're going to see him take over this backfield and be really productive. Some of these plus matchups coming up. Love that one. Uh, running back position for me, and I'm going to I'm gonna say it's Ty J Spears because I think Derrick Henry is going to get traded. And I think Ty J Spears had like his trajectory pointing up. I think even if Derrick Henry does not get moved, we're going to see more and more usage of, of Spears as the season moves along. This is a Tennessee team in transition. They've got to take a look at some of their younger players and get them going. Spears is such a good receiver that I think he gives them that sort of element. But what do you think? Do you think the big dog's getting moved this week, Andrew? It seems like could happen. We're you know, seeing maybe I, Baltimore, I, I, Dallas waiting Cowboys. With, waiting with bated breath to get the inactives on 1130 Eastern and be like, Derrick Henry, inactive. And it's going to be like, oh my God. Oh my yeah. God, people are going to lose their minds. I can't wait for it. I'm, I'm here for it. Hopefully it does happen. Because, yeah, I mean, I would love to see Derek, especially with the Ravens or Cowboys, man. Like, to see that guy on a team that has, like, a capable quarterback. Oh, my God. Just absolute monster. So, yeah, I think, yeah, Tajay Spears makes a perfect sense as well. Keep him out of Dallas. Let's let's get him to Baltimore. I don't want that to happen in Dallas. It just, like, the idea of Tony Pollard being just completely relegated <laughs> is incredibly de depressing. Because, you know... That's like a that's like a, a Jerry Jones Mike McCarthy dream to get the big dog and just ride him out. It would totally change the offense. It would not be good for Ceedee Lamb, by the way, either. Wow. If the big dog ends up in Dallas, so Baltimore, the whole offense would go nuclear. We're not even excited about Gus Edwards or Justice Hill. Pour one out for our Keaton Mitchell shares. We're, we're completely. I'm completely allowing it. Fantasy, fantasy gods, wow. do something. Get big dog in Baltimore. 
Uh, how about, uh, you know, for, for, for me, I'll take the next position, quarterback. And this one's like a low-hanging fruit. I'm going to take a quarterback that's very relatively unknown to fantasy managers. You've never heard of this guy. It's Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is going to come back. Kyler Murray has never finished lower than quarterback 11 in fantasy points per game at the quarterback position. Last year was quarterback seven, uh, and he didn't even play that great. But Kyler Murray makes things happen. A very opportunistic runner who can rip off huge runs. And I have kind of some optimism in this Arizona offense. I think Drew Petzing kind of gets it. And we've seen Josh Dobbs have multiple weeks with 40 plus uh, rushing yards. And there's been a number of games where Dobbs has missed receivers over the top. Like last week, he had an opportunity for two more touchdown passes. Like that's Kyler Murray. You've got Hollywood Brown all set. James Conner coming back off of the IR. Trey McBride hopefully getting a chance to break out. And Michael Wilson, I think, meshes pretty well with Kyler Murray. So I'm going to go Kyler Murray as my breakout second half quarterback. Andrew, give us a quarterback. Yeah, for me, it's going to be, uh, as I say, biting my tongue, uh, Kenny Pickett. <laughs> because uh, the schedule is really good. Second easiest schedule rest season for quarterbacks. Look, we saw him play better with Deontay Johnson back in the lineup. Now I know Deontay's dealing with hamstring injury again. So again, if if he's out, then this is probably be burst into flames. Because if you only have George Pickens and George Pickens isn't catching a 70 yard touchdown, then you're probably out of luck <laughs> with Kenny Pickett. But he still checks off a lot of the boxes that you like from like these late round quarterbacks that we were drafting. He has a little bit of sneaky rushing upside. And you just got to convert on some of these touchdowns. Like that's really ultimately the thing when it comes down to, and maybe with some more favorable matchups, I know like this week against Jacksonville, they have a leaky secondary. This could be a great right spot for him. Um, got, I know they have the Titans coming up as well. So yeah, I, I, I do like Kenny Pickett as a guy that can potentially balance back and break out. You know, I thought, you know, we thought he could be a breakout at the start of the year. Hasn't happened so far, but injuries have obviously played a role in that. So maybe we see things kind of come together here. Um, second half. Your your optimism is inspiring, Andrew. You're inspiring people <laughs> across the world. This 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 hope this hope and optimism for Kenny Pickett is fantastic. And if he's going to do it, it's going to be this week because Jacksonville has been quite leaky in the secondary against opposing quarterbacks. Kenny Pickett only one game over 300 passing yards in his career. But hey, I'm with you. The schedule is the schedule, and he's been knocking on the door. The he's had like several like 230 yard passing games. So. Let's get it going. Let's let's hope for that 300-yard passing game for Kenny Pickett this week against Jacksonville. Uh, I'll take it over to the wide receiver spot. We talked about him earlier. It's Josh Downs. I think Josh Downs continues his ascent. I think Josh Downs goes down as the best third-round draft pick wide receiver since your guy Deontay Johnson and Terry McLaurin in 2019. I think Josh Downs is really, really good, and I think that he'll be continued to be highly utilized and I actually think this offense, uh, the schedule gets a little more difficult, but this offense seems to be kind of like improving at the right time with, with the return of Jonathan Taylor and his usage trending up. So I think Downs is going to have more and more opportunities for big plays. And we've seen that in games they're trailing or in difficult matchups, they have no problem going to him a number of times. That Baltimore game, 12 targets. He can win in different ways. I'm big on Josh Downs. Give me a wide receiver that you're excited about, Andrew. Going with another rookie receiver that I just cannot, I just can't, I just can't quit him. I can't quit him, Theo. I'm going Marvin Mims. Um, Love because, it. Love I it. Mean, I mean, because like, I, I like, I was, I tweeted out like the other last weekend. I was like, uh, every part of me dies inside every time I have to drop Marvin Mims to pick up a defense or kicker because I literally have to do that same transaction every single week because I have to hold this guy, but like, 
have to start the defense and I can't start Marvin Mims because he's running 10 routes a game if I'm lucky. So again, it's based on, look, one of these Denver receivers is going to get traded. Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, someone's getting moved. And eventually that means that we're going to see Marvin Mims play a bigger role in this offense. I mean, the Broncos are going to be sellers at the deadline. They're going to be looking ahead towards the future. They took Marvin Mims with a high draft pick. He's flashed already this year when he's got opportunities. So it's like Sean Payton, just like, dude, just like, just put the guy out there for hundred percent of the snaps and see what happens. Like, come on, man. Like, let's just see what happens. So I'm going to be there for when it happens. So I got to make sure he's on my team. And I think that he could have a big role down the line. You know, the Broncos defense is horrible. They're still throwing the ball a ton and they're going to try to score points with Russ. So uh, Marvin Mims for me, I think could have a big fantasy outing uh, the second half of the year. Cause he could have a, he could actually play. Like that's the thing he could play. Speak it into existence. We need one of those Denver Broncos wide receivers to get traded. In fact, trade them both. Let's just get Marvin Mims his target. Let's get him his usage. Uh, just get him on the field. Think, just get him <laughs> on the field. Like, it's 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 inexplicable, you know, the way they're treating Marvin Mims. There's no greater disconnect between a player's usage uh, and the fantasy community's love for a player than Mims. It's kind of like Kyle Pitts was last year. Uh, we really need to get this thing going for Marvin Mims. The guy is an absolute baller. And I don't think the story's been completely told of like how these rookie wide receivers look uh, in terms of our preference for them when we get to the end of the season. I think Mims will have something to say about it. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to have something to say about it as well over the second half. Uh, my tight end, we talked about him earlier. It's Dalton Kincaid. Locked in top seven, top eight tight end for me. Uh, I think even when Knox comes back, I think Kincaid will have established himself. Look for more games like last night where he's getting six, seven targets. He's a real threat to score touchdowns in this offense. And I would say over the course of the rest of the season, you know, starting in week eight on, I don't think he'll have quite as many fantasy points as Sam Laporta, but I don't think it's going to be as big of a, of a disconnect as we saw in the first half of the season. I think he's going to start chipping away. By the end of the season, it's going to be Laporta and Kincaid in every single person's dynasty tight end top five rankings. Would you say rest of the season, would you rather have Kincaid or Waller? Gosh. Um, I have so much Waller, so I hate saying this. <laughs> the usage is there for Waller, but Waller's already slightly banged up, whereas Kincaid is healthy. And the quality of the offense, I have absolutely no faith in this Giants offense. I think you're going to see a lot of like 14, 17, 20-point scores, whereas the Bills they don't even necessarily have to play well and they're going to put 28 points on the board or more. Um, so I think it's close. I think it's close. I think if I was, if I was offered the trade in a league, I might begrudgingly take Waller, but I think it's going to be super close. I think that's the kind of, uh, that's a great, great, great litmus test. Yeah. I have them on both on the same team. So it'd be fun for me every, every week trying to figure out uh, which one to play. So uh, I will go to my tight end here, um, and it's kind of like a guy coming off a of bye week, so not someone that we've been talking about, but it's Jake Ferguson uh, for the Dallas okay. Cowboys. We talked about Dallas's schedule overall. Like I think a lot of Dallas Cowboys players are buys, like Tony Pollard. Uh, C.D. Lamb has kind of been thrown out as like a buy because of the schedule. I think about if it's Jake Ferguson, because the biggest area that the Cowboys have struggled this year is the red zone. Like, again, they have not been able to convert. You know, people are saying, oh, they don't have Zeke. Like, this is why they can't convert. Like, that's not the reason why. And it's also not why the Patriots' red zone offense is, you know, suddenly more efficient. You know, it's also based on a very small sample size because the Patriots don't get to the red zone very often, but they have been converting at a high rate. 
it's easy to do when you don't you're, when you're not there that often. But Ferguson, just looking at the matchups he has, number one schedule remaining for tight end. So if you could bet on a guy running hot in terms of touchdowns, I think it'd be Jake Ferguson because we know Dak can throw touchdowns. We know Dak likes targeting the tight end position. So you know if Tony Pollard doesn't really end up converting this red zone usage into scores, I think that the guy that could be would be Jake Ferguson. So if he's out on your waiver wire, got dropped during bye weeks, and you don't have Kincaid, a Waller, you still need help at tight end, go scoop up Jake Ferguson. Because I think that he's going to be someone that could be a low-end tight end one for the rest of the season. I love the Jake Ferguson call. I think that's a really well-thought-out one. Uh, Andrew, you you brought it today. Unbelievably good takes. This was a lot of fun. The hour flew by. Let everybody know, once again, where they can find your work and what you have coming out. Yeah, so I'm over on Twitter, X, or whatever you want to call it, uh, at Andrew Erickson underscore. I'll find all my written content over at FantasyPros.com. I do live streams with the team there on the Fantasy Pros YouTube channel. also do stuff on the betting pros side, so Fantasy Pros sister site, uh, where we handle betting. You can do, check out my betting pros primer, where I write up all the NFL games, sides, totals, favorite player props, tons of fun stuff, but applicable for fantasy. So whether you're doing fantasy or whether you're doing gambling, I think that there's a lot that you can gain from reading some of my content. So over at Fantasy Pros, over at bettingpros.com, and you can find it all from my Twitter, at Andrew Erickson underscore. Love it. I highly recommend Andrew's work over at Fantasy Pros. Uh, definitely check out my episode of First Class Fantasy I recorded yesterday with Ryan Reynolds of the 33rd team. Went over a lot of our start sits for the week. And check out at 3 o'clock today if you're watching this uh, live on YouTube. This is a YouTube only. You got, you're not going to get this on our podcast network. But Josh Larkey and Ryan Reynolds of the 33rd team, I sat down with them on their podcast uh, to go over a quarterback position. And we're going to stream those right here on Player Profiler YouTube as well. Uh, check out the game plan on Saturday. Matty Kiwum has Josh Larkey coming on his show. And stick with us here at Press Coverage all season long. I'm going to bring in some of the best guests in fantasy and stick with uh, First Class Fantasy as well. That's going to be on Thursdays with Billy Muzio and I. We're going to bring fantastic guests on. We're going to try to win you your league. It's week eight, everybody. It's time to get some W's. It's time to close the season out well. It's going to be the fantasy playoffs before you know it. Let's have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.